The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines, the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy Independence Day weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. This is my favorite holiday of the year. I mean, how can it not be? Hot dogs, hamburgers, and best of all, fireworks. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend here uh, this summertime, and you know, this is the uh, continuing saga of the winding down of the Rick Edelman Show. As you know, if you've been listening to the program over the past month, I'm bringing this radio show to an end this fall after nearly 30 years uh, on the air and uh, winding down my involvement with Edelman Financial Engines as well, the company that Gene and I created uh, 36 years ago. This is the winding down, the end of our Edelman financial career and this radio show, but it's not the end, of course, for what Gene and I will be up to. Retirement isn't really a word that is as relevant today as it was 50 years ago. And Gene and I have an awful lot of things that we'll be uh, engaging in. Most influentially, is that a word? Longevity. We are simply acknowledging that although I'm now 63, I'm pretty much at the beginning of middle age. If you talk to the researchers and scientists at uh, the Stanford Center on Longevity and the Milken Institute for the Study of Aging, both of which I'm on their advisory boards, or the MIT Age Lab, and a number of other gerontologists and geriatric specialists and experts in the field of medicine, there's a pretty wide sense of agreement that if you make it to the year 2030, that's only eight or nine years from now. Odds are pretty good that you'll live to age 100, 110, even 120. If you're alive in the year 2030. Why? What's the big deal about the year 2030? Well, it's over the rest of this decade that the scientists are projecting developments in cures, vaccines for the leading causes of death today. Improvements in healthcare, improvements in social behavior, nutrition. We're not drinking as much. We're not smoking as much. We're exercising more. We're not eating as much junk food. All of this contributing to expanded life expectancies. And if all of that is true, here I am at age 63, barely in middle age. I'm pretty much only halfway done. And so it's kind of hard for us to fathom all of this, isn't it? To say, golly, after a 36-year career, what's next? I mean, am I supposed to keep doing this for another 36 years? Think about it in your own career circumstance. When do you plan to retire? Well, a lot of folks have been doing that this past year, spurred on, of course, by the pandemic. The Dallas Federal Reserve has just come out with a study showing that one and a half million people retired last year who weren't previously expecting to 
and it's all because of the pandemic. A lot of some older workers were laid off last year, and instead of trying to find a new job, they just said, the heck with it. I quit. I'm done. I'm just going to stay unemployed, in other words, retired. And so a lot of folks are recognizing that, wow, you know what? I think I can afford to do this. Well, that's where I want to focus our conversation right now on two key issues. You know that traditionally, as a financial planner and I'm one of the most experienced and one of the most acclaimed financial planners in the field. Our firm is ranked number one by Barron's as investment advisory firm. And we do a lot of work with our clients, as you can well imagine, in the field of helping them make sure that they have enough money to retire. And that's the fundamental question that I pose to you pretty much every week on this radio show. Do you have enough money? to achieve your financial goals? Are you going to be able to stop earning an income at some point? Because when you stop earning the income, you're still going to need an income. The income is going to have to come from somewhere else. So where is the somewhere else? For all Americans, pretty much, it's Social Security. There are a few carve-outs, those who have union pensions or federal employees getting the federal pension. But pretty much for all of us, it's Social Security or a pension. And for the lucky among us, for the hardworking among us, we also have investment income, the ability to tap into other resources, whether it's equity in our homes or it's money from retirement accounts or money in other savings and investments. And even a smaller subset of the fortunate among us get to enjoy inheritances, So with those resources, we don't have to keep earning an income in order to keep receiving an income. And that subject is everything that I've been covering here on the show for the past 36 years on pretty much a weekly basis. But I want to go into a different direction for you. I want to ask a more fundamental question, what I could even argue is a more important question. As you contemplate the notion of leaving behind your W-2 paycheck, stopping your earned income, which means retiring from work, quitting that job, leaving the employer. What next? What comes after that? You know, it was very different for my grandparents. You know, my grandfather who retired at 62, dead at 65. I mean, that was the classic stereotypical environment of our elders, wasn't it? You worked from age 20 to 40 in what was known as womb to tomb employment. You joined one company, a railroad, back 150 years ago, uh, a big industrial organization uh, working in a factory 100 years ago. And you worked in that job for your entire career. Wherever you started to work at age 18 is where you retired at age 62. And then you were done. You got a gold watch, a pension. You had your house paid for. You got Social Security. And within a few years, you were dead because life expectancies were much shorter back then. You didn't have to think about your financial future because you weren't going to have one. Today, though, You retire at 62 or 65, you've got 30, 40, 50 years to go. And America has done a great job at helping people generate that income. We are number one in the world for education. We teach people skills, provide them abilities to earn an income. And we show you how to make money with that money through proper investment management but we aren't necessarily really good at helping you figure out what's next. 
And so that's the question I want to fundamentally ask you. Financial planning isn't merely about buying a home, paying for college. It's also about who are you going to be when you grow up? You need to answer this question. This is the question Gene and I found ourselves faced with as we went through this metamorphosis over the past six or seven months here in our lives, ultimately leading to the end result of us having announced that we're leaving Edelman Financial Engines, the company we created 36 years ago. You too are going to face that decision. In fact, it might even be imposed on you. It might not be voluntary in your case. You might be forced out. Your employer may dictate your departure. In the military, it's very common. In education, airline pilots, there are a great many occupations where you must leave at a certain age or after a certain number of years of employment. So I want to ask you, are you ready to quit your job? Are you ready to leave your employer? These are fundamental issues that we all have to wrestle with. Because if you focus on it as, I don't want to leave, I enjoy what I do, well, think about your spouse. I was talking with one gentleman last week who's 63 years old. He loves his job. He's got a three-year contract at work. And he said, but my wife is 12 years older than me. I'm 63, but she is 75. And he said, my three-year contract is up for renewal. And she said to me, are you going to sign another three-year contract? And how many more three-year contracts are you going to sign? At age 63, he's happy to sign another three-year contract, but she'll be 78. And then she'll be 81. And so it's not just about you. It's about you and your spouse or partner. And we need to figure this out. What are you going to do when you grow up? Because many people struggle with what's next. And that is what we're going to talk about when we return here on The Rick Edelman Show. What's next? And how do you figure that out? Stay with us for more here on The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show on this wonderful July 4th holiday weekend celebrating our nation's independence. And independence is really apropos. That's what we're talking about here. Your financial independence. When you leave work permanently, that's all retirement is, right? A permanent vacation. And so what happens to you? What are you going to do next? So often we discover that people don't want to leave their jobs because they can't envision what their lives will be without that career. We wrap ourselves around our occupations. That's our self-worth. What I do for a living. Isn't that a common question that you ask at a cocktail party when you meet someone for the first time? Hi, what do you do? Because that's how we associate who we are. And leaving the job is very difficult. And so I want to ask you to focus on what's next. And what's fascinating is this is not actually a new conversation for you and me. I've been talking about this for decades. In fact, what I'm going to share with you now 
comes from my book, Discover the Wealth Within You, which I published in 2002. Discover the Wealth Within You, a financial plan for creating a rich and fulfilling life. And that's really the point, isn't it? A rich and fulfilling life. You see, if you don't know what you're going to do next, you tend to hang on to what you've got because losing what you've got is exactly that, a loss, creating a vacuum. What am I going to do with the eight or 10 hours a day that I currently devote to my job? So I want to ask you a few questions. All of this coming from my book, Discover the Wealth Within You. First of all, what would excite you? What were your dreams when you were a kid? Think back to when you looked at everything in future speak, what you want to do. Today, as folks in our 50s and 60s, we tend to look on what we already did do. We don't necessarily focus on the future so much. So I want you to reset your thinking. What are the places you always said you wanted to visit? And drill it down. Don't just tell me the continent. Don't say I've always wanted to go to Europe. What country in Europe? What region? Don't just say France. Where in France? Burgundy? What city? What town? What street? What building? What individual site do you always want to go visit? The Eiffel Tower is drilling it down to a specificity as opposed to just saying, I want to go to Europe. Or this, who are the people you've always wanted to meet in academia, science, medicine, law, or education, in the performing arts, folks from Hollywood, television, or theater that you've always wanted to meet, in the visual arts, painters, sculptors, or architects, in media, authors, journalists, or publishers, in government, legislative, judicial, and executive branches, in religion, clergy, and leaders from your faith, in sports, athletes, coaches, sports writers, and broadcasters. People in business you've wanted to meet, Fortune 500 CEOs, entrepreneurs, or regulators. In the humanities, folks engaged in the environment, public health, or education. Family, long-lost or distant relatives. What events would you like to witness? The eruption of a volcano, a birth, solar eclipse, surgery, the swearing-in of a president, the last performance of an artist or show, a championship event? What events would you like to participate in? The running of the bulls in Spain, the taking of the U.S. Census, an archaeological discovery? Or what subjects have you always wanted to study? History, the arts, law, medicine, languages, business, economics, communications. What hobbies would you like to pursue? Action figure collecting, antiquing, aquariums, arts and crafts, astronomy, audio-video, automobiles, aviation. Baking, basketball, basket weaving, beach combing, beadwork, beekeeping, beer brewing, bell ringing, billiards, bird watching, board games, boating, bonsai, book collecting, book binding, bowling and bubbles. I just listed 169 activities and I only got through the A's and the B's. My book covers A to Z. My point is, there's a huge, big world out there. Let's not focus on the job we've been in the past 20, 30, 40 years, let's focus on what is available to us out there. What ideas would you like to explore? Philosophical, psychological, spiritual, political, theoretical, scientific, or artistic? What volunteer activities would interest you? Children, youth, the elderly, healthcare, faith-based, education, environment, political, or community service? Chances are, it's been years, maybe even decades, since you've thought of your childhood dreams. Were they pushed out of your consciousness by the obligations and hassles of daily life? That's okay. 
if that's what happened, happens to pretty much all of us. Just think about those dreams and desires again. And because the thought of having a pony probably isn't as exciting to you as it was when you were four, give yourself the opportunity to dream new dreams. Talk to people about goal setting. And talk to people of all ages. Children talk in future speak, what they're going to do. Recent college grads, they talk in present speak, what they're doing right now. People who are in their 50s and 60s and and beyond, they tend to talk in the past tense. So what I want you to do is focus on your future just as a seven-year-old does. And what I want you to do is set a goal, something you haven't done in a really long time. This means you need to make a decision. We're pretty bad at making decisions as Americans. Why? Because we're out of practice. When's the last time you made a decision? Oh, no, don't tell me you made a decision about what to have for dinner last night. That wasn't a decision. That was a choice from a limited menu. A decision is something you haven't done in a long time. I'll tell you a big decision, where to go to college, whether or not to go, whether to go into the military or not. That's a big decision. Who to marry? Big decision. Where to live, what job to take. Those are big decisions. When's the last time you made a really big decision? The time you get up in the morning isn't a decision anymore. Your current lifestyle dictates that. What you're going to wear, who you're going to see, how you're going to spend your day, those are largely dictated by the decisions you've previously made. And so most of us are operating on autopilot. And since we're out of practice, we're not really good at making big decisions. So I'm going to share with you how to make effective decisions. First, simply set a positive goal. A positive goal means what you're going to do as opposed to what you're not going to do. Avoid words like not, don't, won't, shouldn't, can't, stop, impossible, never. Those are negative words. The human brain can't handle negative words. Focus on positive words. I am, I do, always. Set a date for your goal. And I mean a specific date. You can't just say, I'm going to go to Europe in 2022. That's not a date. That's a year. I mean a date. It must be specific. What date will you get on that airplane? And that date must also be realistic. You can't say, I'm going to go to Europe tomorrow. That's not very realistic. You're not likely to do it. So set a date, make it specific and realistic. And number three, write it down. A date is not a date until you write it down. And then you must keep it in front of you all the time or you'll quickly soon forget. So you need to put pictures of your destination on the refrigerator door, on the steering wheel of your car. You've got to put it as photos on your phone and on your computer. You've got to talk about it with family, read magazines, talk to travel agents if travel is your goal. Whatever it is you're engaging in, you need to have it in your forefront at all times in order to stay focused, to keep you likely to achieve that goal. If you can get focused on who you're going to be in the next chapter of your life, you'll soon discover that instead of lamenting the end of your career, you'll be chomping at the bit to get rid of it as fast as possible so you can get started on your next life. And in fact, it is your next life we're going to talk about because unfortunately, not all Americans have this opportunity that I'm describing. Many Americans Far too many millions of us are fearful about losing our job and facing retirement because they don't have the money necessary to support themselves in retirement. 
we're going to talk about income inequity and some of the solutions that are being proposed to solve this pervasive and ongoing problem. You're listening to The Truth About Money here on The Rick Edelman Show. I want to share with you some of the latest innovations in the field of exponential technologies. The world's biggest rooftop greenhouse has been installed in Montreal on top of a former Sears warehouse. It produces 57,000 pounds of food a week. The objective is to feed everyone in the city of Montreal from a rooftop greenhouse. Meanwhile, there's an Israeli startup called Future Meat. Its backers include Archer Daniels Midland and Tyson Foods. They've figured out a way to produce a four-ounce chicken breast from a laboratory, selling it for just $4. They say they're going to get the cost under $2 by the end of next year. A real chicken breast is $0.80. They expect USDA approval It's already on the market in Singapore, and there are 50 other companies worldwide in the same game producing similar products. In the future, it'll be lab-grown meat that you'll be eating. That's the truth about money. When we come back on the program, two very special guests, Kevin Hassett and Teresa Ghilarducci, who have joined together as a most uncommon couple. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at ricestellman.com. Author of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. As I mentioned to you earlier in the program today, we've been talking about your next chapter. What are you going to do when you grow up after you leave your career of the past 20, 30, 40 years? And as I'd mentioned, that is a question that, frankly, only affluent Americans are able to contemplate. For millions of Americans, the future is far more scary because they haven't had the opportunity to collect and amass large amounts of personal assets, and their financial futures are far more precarious. And as we come out of the pandemic, uh, although jobs are gaining once again, thankfully, we still have a precarious situation, and it is much more so for those who are earning less than it is for those who are earning more. Uh, new research has just come out this past week showing that of those who are earning $100,000 or more, about 8% are living paycheck to paycheck. But those earning less than 50000 nearly 30% are living paycheck to paycheck. And in fact, those who are earning small amounts of money are far more likely to be fearful that they're going to lose their jobs in the next month. 18% of those earning less than $50,000 think they're going to lose their job in the next 30 days. Those earning 100000 or more are far less likely to feel that way. We clearly have income inequity in America. It's the so-called K-economy recovery that so many have been talking about. Those who are doing well are now doing better. Those who were financially challenged before the pandemic are now doing even worse. 
And it's with that in mind that I'm very happy to bring on to the program two very special guests, Kevin Hassett and Teresa Gillarducci. Teresa's been with us here on the program in the past. You'll recall her being here. Kevin's the first time, and I'm really excited to have them both here. You know these names very well. Kevin is the vice president and managing director of the Lindsay Group. He is also distinguished visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution. He was senior advisor to President Trump and chaired President Trump's White House Council of Economic Advisors. He's been with the American Enterprise Institute, was a senior economist at the Fed, and he's been on the faculty of Columbia University. He was also an advisor to the presidential campaigns of Mitt Romney, John McCain, and George W. Bush. Teresa Ghilarducci is on the other side of the political spectrum. She is professor of economics at the New School for Social Research and also director of the Schwartz Center for Economic Policy Analysis. Previously, for 25 years, Teresa was professor of economics at Notre Dame. She's a labor economist and a nationally recognized expert in retirement security. She's also a trustee for the United Auto Workers Retirees and Steelworker Retirees. And she was appointed by President Bill Clinton to the PBGC Advisory Board. Welcome, Kevin and Teresa, to the program. Happy to have you both with us. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. So we have here two economists, world class, on completely opposite sides of the political aisle. And yet they are both in complete agreement with each other and with me that the American retirement system is broken. And like me, they've devised a proposal to fix our country's wealth inequity, a federal savings plan for low-income workers. Before we get into the solution, though, that Kevin and Teresa, you have devised, and we'll talk about mine, too, during the program and get your thoughts on that. Tell me, what got the two of you to work together on this in the first point? Which one of you made the first outreach to the other? I guess I should go first on that one, right? Basically, and Rick, first, I, I want to thank you for having us. And also thank you for, you know, being a leader, a thought leader in this space for so long. This is one of the most important policy issues facing society today. Uh, and you've been out there on, out front on this for, for decades, really. And, and I really commend you for that. But, but what happened was that um, I got approached uh, to think about the sort of wealth inequality problem and reviewed the literature uh, very aggressively, but I've never really participated much in the literature, and wrote a paper that had a proposal in it, which you know, we're all going to start to talk about, that was sort of you know, half-baked at the time. And everybody said, you know, the world's leading expert on this is Teresa. And so you know, I basically reached out to Teresa and said, hey, you know, this isn't public yet, but could you have a look and see what you think? And then, of course, you know, Teresa being Teresa, she added so much value that I asked her if she wouldn't mind writing it with me, and, and then the rest is history. So, Teresa, that, that must have been an uncommon phone call that you received coming from somebody so well embedded in uh, Republican politics, asking for your input and, and commentary and advice on a position paper. You, you know what? It was, it was uncommon, but not, but not unexpected, because we met um, on the plane of economists. You know, we both started our life, Kevin and me, um, you know, on very modest means. I'm learning a lot about Kevin. And um, we entered college to help the world. And so when, when I get a paper, and it doesn't really matter who it's from, with an issue, as you know, Rick, you know, you've been telling people for decades um, that we don't have enough security for people as they age, um, then I read it very closely. And it was insightful. It was efficient complicated ideas that a lot of people have um, trouble getting across. 
um, Kevin wrote in his paper, um, and I was happy to help. People from different political backgrounds or, or viewpoints can, in fact, come together in a mutual way to solve big problems. And the two of you have done that uh, very, very well. Uh, let's take a step back and talk about the problem. Uh, what's wrong with our country's current retirement system? Kevin, you want to start with that? You know, I think that the basic point is that uh, it's, it's very sensible for policy to uh, subsidize the accumulation of wealth so that people, after they're uh, unable to work anymore, decide to retire, have the resources they need to continue their lives sort of more or less as they were uh, without requiring a, a humongous amount of, uh, you know, government support. We, we, we both, Teresa and I, love Social Security, by the way, so I'm not attacking Social Security. So it's sensible for us to help people have a healthy retirement. So you're talking about, for example, the tax deduction for retirement savings. The problem with the tax deduction is that uh, that you get a higher benefit the higher your tax rate, and you know because if you deduct a dollar and your tax rate is zero, then it's not really worth that much. But if your tax rate's fifty percent, then you get the government's more or less giving you fifty cents on the dollar. And so, so the point is just that we've got this system that is subsidizing savings for really rich people. But not for uh, poor people at all, because they they basically have very low or no marginal tax rates. The bottom half of the income distribution, basically, you know, people at the bottom twenty five percent to have have a negative net worth, and I think it's in part because they haven't accumulated assets over time, um, because the programs that we've built to encourage them to do that aren't relevant for people at the bottom. So we need to fix that, and along comes your proposal, Teresa. Tell us uh, what that is. A good 70% of those on the bottom will have nothing but Social Security. Social Security is a wonderful program. Kevin and I agree. It probably should be expanded to eliminate poverty, but it's not a retirement plan. Um, People need something on top of Social Security, and most people won't have anything. We should um, make sure that everybody is, is involved with wealth accumulation and we have proposed something like the, the federal thrift savings plan. It is a very simple model of you start saving alongside your Social Security record when you start work, and it accumulates in well-managed, low-fee, long-term investments. And when you're done with your, with your work life and you draw on Social Security, you also can draw on the supplementary plan. When you put the money in, the government matches it. So you have this big incentive. Uh, to put money in, and, and in the federal government thrift savings plan, they now match up to 5%. So if you put 5% of your income in, uh, and, and that's pre-tax, uh, then the government will match it with a 5% contribution as well. And so there's a really, really strong incentive for government employees to save. If you're just joining us, we're having a conversation with Teresa Gillarducci, professor of economics at the New School for Social Research, a Bill Clinton appointee, and Kevin Hassett, Distinguished Visiting Fellow at the Hoover Institution and former chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors during the Trump administration. We're talking about the elimination of income inequity and the ability to help all Americans create wealth. Would this proposal be applicable for all workers or are you providing it, making it available only to certain workers? Yeah, we're thinking about the bottom half of, of the income distribution is where where we would draw the line. Our guess is that the optimal place to put it is around uh, incomes below 50000 So one of the uh, immediate 
criticisms I think that people would raise is, wait a minute, these folks, why do they need this? Don't they already have a retirement plan where they work and why don't they just use that? Of course, I think you're going to say the answer is they don't have a retirement plan where they work. There you got it, Rick. You know, half the people um, at any one point in time do not have employers that provide them with, um, with, a, with a plan at work. That's a flat statement. At any one point in time, over half the people don't have access to a retirement plan at work. Thank goodness we have Social Security. You know, we didn't talk about the moral aspects of, of wealth accumulation in this country, but the moral aspect is the system now is unfair, and our system would make would be practical and fair. The aspect of it being unfair, uh, is that Kevin's point that the tax benefits accrue more to the wealthy, or are there other elements that make it unfair? Um, Kevin, I, I think I think he would agree that um, a system that innocently wanted to help everybody has been skewed to help only 70% go to the top 20%. It's just a design problem. I think another way that I'll think about it, which is maybe... Um, you know, a, a little, a little more neutral in terms of emotion, uh, but it's something that should upset us. Is imagine, Rick, if we had done something like your plan or this 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Well, then that problem that Teresa described, where 70 percent of people who are going to retire next year basically don't have wealth, you know, that would have been solved. People would be retiring with hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank that they could draw on. It is really tragic that we didn't do this 20 years ago, and that if you think about the opportunity, then you should be really excited about doing it. Your proposal is very elegant and very simple, easy to understand and digest. Uh, I imagine it's getting attention on Capitol Hill. If people want to learn uh, about your proposal and its detail and read your paper, how would they access that? The Economic Innovation Group that has supported our research, so EIG.org. We'll continue my conversation with Kevin Hassett and Teresa Ghilarducci about income inequality in America and our proposals to solve that problem. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. the publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance coming up on the Rick Edelman show. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman show. We're talking about the elimination of income inequity and the ability to help all Americans create wealth. And joining me in this conversation, Kevin Hassett, Distinguished Visiting Fellow at the Hoover Institution and former chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors in the Trump administration, along with Teresa Ghilarducci, professor of economics at the New School for Social Research and a Bill Clinton appointee. So if we have tens of millions of Americans reaching ages 60, 70, 80, 90, and they're out of money, because they didn't or weren't able to save during their careers, the government's burden for caring for those folks will become insurmountable. So this is actually a far less expensive way to deal with this issue, setting aside the humanity, which we could argue is even more important. Um, it, it also is a family issue. 
um, daughters and, and daughters-in-laws, adult daughters and daughters-in-laws, have um, had to bear the burden of taking care of an indig- um, a poor um, father, mother-in-law, or their own parents. Um, it's a burden for families to have to have grandma move into you know, a re- renovated garage, and grandma doesn't want to do it. So it, it preserves the dignity of, of families and adults to live independently and, and form close um, um, voluntary family ties. We had mentioned my proposal as well, which is uh, a, a wonderful companion concept. I take a different approach, uh, as you both know, uh, having uh, been familiar with my proposal called RISE, the Retirement Income Security for Everyone uh, idea, which instead of saying that we're going to provide a broad-based uh, availability of retirement savings for workers who currently don't have that opportunity. My premise is, why are we waiting for people to get jobs? Because uh, they generally don't do so until they're in their 20s. Why don't we start providing for retirement as soon as babies are born and grab an extra couple of decades of compound growth? Um, because the sooner you start, the less you need to save in order to have an impactful amount of money. So give me your thoughts on the concept of creating a way to start saving for retirement upon birth. You actually hit something that was a really happy surprise for me and Teresa. You could start a, a, a fund yeah. for people as soon as they're born and maybe throw a couple thousand dollars in it and then start it, you know, really growing 20 years later when they get a job. Uh, and, and I think that's a great idea. It, 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 that was something I think surprised Teresa, right, when I said that. <laughs> yeah. You're really hearing um, two economists really coming from different political points of view and alliances and habits of mind and and connections coming together, wanting the same plan, and seeing it from different points of view. And I, if there is any hope for bipartisanship, it will be exactly listening to each other and seeing the, the facets. It's practical and reasonable that people at birth kind of have a, a little level playing field. Some kids come into, um, you know, onto the birthing table with just debt behind them. Others come with the so-called silver spoon and um, auto enrollment at birth or a baby bond or the rise bond um, is a way to just have everybody start from the same position. We do that anyway with health care for children, for, for education for children. Let's just try to close that wealth gap. But we also want a way for hard um, working people when they've dedicated their lives to supporting their families through working for themselves or somebody else, a really good practical design to save for their retirement. And that's what we've come up with. We hope that that Congress uh, refines it in their way with their own bipartisan um, discussions and come up with something that supplements Social Security for everybody. And that's what you want. It makes um, a lot of sense. And through the, the efforts of the Economic Inform- you know, Innovative Group, the EIG.org we just talked about, um, they have a way of talking to a broad spectrum of, of legislators. This really is a national plan and requires a bold federal uh, move. And we're pretty hopeful that we'll hear, we'll, we'll have legislation formed this summer and probably introduced in the fall. And, and Rick, the one thing that you've dedicated your life to is basically financial education, you know, basically teaching people about, like, you know, how to be financially savvy, how to invest in things and, you know, improve their lives down the road. And um, something that I've done just 
personally with my family is I, I did something like this. Now, of course, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to fund it myself. But for both of my boys, when they were really young, I put a little bit of money in a uh, investment account. And I told them they could do whatever they want with that money, but they can't take it out. And and one reason I did that is that I believe in efficient markets. And so I figure, you know, how bad is their decision going to be? Because they're paying like the market price for everything if they trade. And, 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 you know, they could see if they trade too much, then they're, you know, eating up all their money with trading fees <laughs> and things like that. But But I think it really helped them become financially savvy. And, you know, I think they'll be better citizens because of that. And it, I, I think it would be great if kids had an account and they got a, a statement. And, you know, if there were like really good economic times because of great economic policies, you know, supported by either party, then folks would see that the money in their account was going up and they would start to see, you know, basically a cause and effect that would create a positive political feedback for good policy. Well, I, I hope uh, the two of you have good success uh, on your efforts on Capitol Hill of getting your proposal adopted, and, and I'm hopeful as well that my RISE proposal will get uh, light of day as well. The message for everybody listening to us right now is that there is a lot of work being done by some very smart people. You're hearing from two of them right here, uh, tackling one of the biggest economic challenges our nation faces. And I just want to say thank you so much to Kevin Hassett uh, and to Teresa Gilarducci for the work you're doing, the initiative you've both undertaken and the collaboration that you've done together uh, breaching the political spectrum to get things done and so I, I wish you both uh, the very best and I'm so excited that you spend time with us here on the show uh, thank, thank you Rick that was Kevin Hassett, the former chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors in the Trump administration, and Teresa Gilarducci, the professor of economics at the New School for Social Research and an appointee in the Bill Clinton administration. And if you would like to read their proposal for solving income inequality in America, along with my proposal for doing the same, both of these are available for you at our website. Just go to ricedelman.com. Thanks for joining us on the program today. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday weekend. Remember, anytime you have questions about your investments or any aspect of your personal finances, call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. And remember, if you miss any part of the show, you can download the podcast. Just go to rickedelman.com for the links to our recent shows. Have a great Independence Day weekend. See you next week. I love this American. Every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.